Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashams in Nigeria, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we find out about youth football in Cameroon, as the country's FA say that they are getting serious about youth. We are hosting the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations. We don't think that we should be counting on the players who are in the senior team now. And we talk about referees. A recent investigation has found that referees tend to award harsher foul punishments to the away team. We speak to Bob Hamer, a former English Premier League referee, who, however, insists that referees are not swayed by the crowds. I can understand where they're coming from, though, when they say that the crowd does sometimes influence the referee, but it's certainly not been in my experience. Plus, Stuart gives us his analysis of Manchester United's decision to fire manager Louis van Gaal. Well, there's lots happening in African football at the moment. The draw for the group stage of the CAF Champions League has been made. In Group A, it's Zesco of Zambia, Al Atli of Egypt, the eight-time champions, Asik Mimosas of Ivory Coast and Widat Casablanca of Morocco. In Group B, two-time champions Enyimba of Nigeria, Zamalek of Egypt, Entente Setif of Algeria and Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa, who replaced DR Congo's AS Vita Club who were disqualified for fielding an ineligible player. The group stage begins in the middle of next month and we'll be following it here on Planet Sport Football Africa. Also, many countries are playing international friendlies ahead of the next games in qualifying for the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations finals. Those qualifiers are on on the first weekend of June. And qualifiers are taking place too for the Africa Under-20 Cup of Nations. The first legs of the second round qualifiers took place last weekend. And here in Harare, Zimbabwe took on Cameroon's Under-20 team, playing out a goalless draw. Well, Cameroon have been one of Africa's greatest teams, but there have been many problems over the years at the Cameroon Football Federation, FECAFUT, with factions vying for power, government interference and poor administration. Well, a new FA leadership took over last September, and they look to have started well, as they're getting serious about youth football. I spoke to Cameroon media officer Albert G. Mbonde about their approach to youth football. Everybody wants to see it grow, everybody wants to see it improve, but I must say, before the new management team at the Cameroon Football Federation, Fekafoot, your football was non-existent, uh, just no championship. It's now uh, the FA is trying to put uh, the infrastructure in place so that they don't play on hard ground like we see with most academies in black Africa. Uh, so quite some effort is now being done. It's the first time that you even hear a youth team play three international friendlies before an official game. We played Morocco at home. We went to Ghana and then to Burkina Faso. It's never happened in the history of Cameroon football. Uh, so we, we see in that quite some positive signals. We just need some time before uh, the fruits start coming. So when you see some fellow West African nations like Mali or Nigeria doing so well with youth, is that something that's inspiring you? 
Of course, of course. Uh, one other major aspect we, we're trying to avoid, which we think uh, has not helped us develop youth football, is the respect of ages. I was just happy to see quite some young Zimbabwean lads. Uh, I don't want to be insultive, but you wouldn't readily find that in West Africa. That's why you often see them winning the, um, uh, the youth competitions but at the national at the senior squad they they are in present uh, because when you don't you get the facts wrong uh, from the youth level as a senior team you make a mistake we are hosting the 2019 uh, africa cup of nations we don't think that we should be counting on the players who are in the senior team now so want to develop our youth teams under 20 under 23 and we surely hoping that uh, we'll have quite some emerging talent from there that should be able to uh, represent the country honorably when we host the competition because I must already announce to you we are already adopting a host and win policy first of all for the 2016 women's uh, AFCON and of course the senior AFCON in 2019 so <laughs> anything short uh, shorter than the trophy will be a big disappointment for, for Cameroonians. And just finally, how are things at the Federation? It seems like things are better now at Feka Foot, the Cameroon I, I Federation. Th- I think that we wasted a lot of uh, time, two, three years uh, over nothing. Things are rather calm now. We sure hope that uh, we'll speak more uh, from the results we get in the pitches uh, than uh, going to uh, arbitration courts. It doesn't help us. Mm. That's Cameroon's media officer Albert and G. Mbonde on their new approach to youth football. Exciting to hear, Solomon. Yes, most definitely, Steve. Uh, there is a, a sense of newness, a sense of uh, taking leadership when it comes to uh, Cameroon's uh, youth football. And I'm so glad that uh, the media officer mentioned the case of egg cheating because egg cheating is something that is very rampant in Africa, especially uh, around uh, West Africa. We need to set up a system where, you know, we deal with players who deserve to be in a certain age group, not to source for players that are outside of that age group already, that are older than uh, 20, but then draft them down and give them an age, uh, maybe 18 or 19, just so they would qualify and play for that and we cannot go around tolerating eight cheating and thinking that is going to produce the goods it might produce the goods during during the under 17 or under 20 or under 23 uh, world cup and tournaments but when it comes to the senior national team it would never deliver the goods sure there's no benefit when you get to senior level thanks solomon Now let's talk about referees here on Planet Sport Football Africa. A recent investigation into referee bias has found that refs tend to award harsher foul punishments to the away team. The results, published in the International Journal of Sport and Exercise Psychology, suggest that experienced referees are just as prone to this bias as their less experienced colleagues. Well, here in Zimbabwe, we call them hometown decisions, whereas spectators, we feel that the referee was maybe overwhelmed by the pressure and favoured the home team, maybe in cases such as shouts for a penalty or for a yellow or a red card. Well, this study was carried out in Spain, and it found that after a foul, referees tended to punish away teams more harshly with more yellow and red cards. And this was especially the case when the home crowd was larger. 
Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard spoke to Bob Hamer, a former English Premier League referee who's now a match observer assessing referees. Adrian first asked Bob if he thinks that back in his days as a referee that he was sometimes biased against the visiting team when there were big home crowds. I'd like to say no. (laughs) I don't think they were. Do you know, when you're at a game, certainly the bigger the crowd, all you hear is a crowd noise. You don't hear anything that they're saying. And during the game, you're just looking to pick up any foul challenges and you just automatically give them. So I would say that referees aren't influenced or biased by the crowd. I'd like to think not anyway, and certainly I don't think I ever was. I think one of the things the research shows is that it doesn't imply there's any intention by referees, but it's just the fact that you're in a crowd situation where there's maybe 50,000 people watching the game, and that's bound to have an impact on the officials and the man in black in the middle of the pitch. Yeah, I, I can understand where they're coming from, but in the heat of a game, really all you're looking at is teams in different colours uh, and trying to referee it fairly uh, and honestly with integrity. And certainly from my point of view, when I was refereeing, that's that's what I did. I can understand where they're coming from, though, when they say that the crowd does sometimes influence the referee, but it's certainly not been in my experience. Well, you're no longer a referee yourself. You are a match observer, as we've said. Now, in that role, Bob, do you see referees and officials making decisions that, in your opinion, have been affected by the home crowd in some way? When I'm sat there in the stand, what I'm looking at is to assess, obviously, that referee's performance. And I do the same as I did when I was refereeing, actually. I'll see a challenge go in and I'll think that should be a caution or whatever. And if the referee's doing that, then I'm happy with that. I'm looking to see whether he's getting his decisions correct or incorrect. So first of all, whether the challenge was, in fact, a foul in the first place. And secondly... If I think it should have been a caution, is he cautioning him or sending him off as the case may be? I would say this season, probably a handful of occasions, I've thought a referee shouldn't have cautioned a player when he did or the other way around. And maybe one or two when a player was sent off, I thought it was perhaps an incorrect decision. Now, were they home teams or away teams? Um I think probably split 50-50. Now, Bob, in, in some parts of the world, fans are so passionate that officials can sometimes face physical abuse as well as verbal abuse if the Crown doesn't like their decisions. How hard is it for referees and officials to remain completely neutral when, uh, after all, they're, they're human like the rest of us? I mean, have there been situations when you face that? Yeah, it is difficult, and I know you do see on television every now and again what happens in South American countries, and it must be really, really difficult. I mean, only one occasion, really, I think that I had to cope with anything like that, and it was towards the end of my career. I was refereeing at Exeter City against Port Vale. In a, it was a tight game, and it was right at the end of the season, and um, relegation depended on this particular result. And I gave a penalty against the home side. And at the end of the game, the crowd came on and I didn't see them coming on. They were coming from behind me. And um, the three officials of me and my two assistants, we both got knocked to the ground. But fortunately, the players immediately came to our rescue. And within seconds, the police were there as well. So it all worked out okay. But that's the only time it's ever happened to me. But I wouldn't say that it would influence my decision any time after that. 
and verbal abuse from the crowds. How do you cope with that? Because well, referees are human as well. Yeah, um, you don't really notice it when you're in the middle because you're a little bit away from it and it's just a noise. It's more when you're actually on the line, your assistant referee, because they can't get away from it. They're actually on the touchline, so close to the crowd. So they will hear it and you've just got to block it out. Totally block it out. Well, that's Bob Hamer, a former English Premier League referee who's now a match observer. So Bob says that referees are not biased when there's a game with a big home crowd, despite the findings of this recent investigation in Spain that has found that referees tend to award harsher foul punishments to the away team. Well, Solomon, we certainly have a lot of allegations like this around Africa, and some of these games have so much pressure. You might be in Kinshasa, where you have a game between AS Vita and uh, TP Mozambique, and you get about 100,000 people cheering their teams. And, and if you're playing in Kinshasa, obviously the home of AS Vita, how should a referee handle the game? He would be intimidated. Or you're out in, in Cairo, a game between Al Khali and Zamalek. And I feel sometimes, you know, you get to be influenced uh, by the magnitude of the crowd, especially in Africa, where the crowd would bluntly tell a referee, if you don't refer the game and give us an advantage, we are going to deal with you after the game. So we also need to really make sure we beef up security. And I feel when referees in Africa know that there's an extra sense of security around them, uh, that they could really work out uh, after the game and go home safely back to their families, I'm sure they would uh, give a very objective judgment and, and calls during the course of the game. And what do you make of this, Stuart? Uh, former English Premier League referee Bob Hamer told us that referees are not biased when there's a game with a big home crowd, but this recent investigation has found that referees do tend to favour the home team. Well, I'm sure that the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I'm sure referees are not intentionally biased towards the home team, but I just think at times referees succumb to the pressure. I mean, I think anyone who watched the FA Cup final at the weekend would have noticed that Mark Clattenburg, usually an excellent referee, somehow seemed to let the occasion get to him and made one or two impetuous decisions. This sometimes happens. You know, we're all human. And I'm sure that referees at times do feel they have to have that little bit of extra certainty to award a penalty against the home team when the, there's a big crowd cheering them on. I'm sure it's not intentional. But I think the evidence perhaps suggests that it does happen. Well, you can tell us what you think about this on WhatsApp and on Facebook. Are referees biased towards the home team, especially when there's a big decision to make in front of a large crowd? Send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Or go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. And Stuart, still on refereeing, there are some changes to the laws of the game taking effect from the start of next month, and some leagues will be implementing them soon. You see, this is really quite interesting because uh, David Ellery, a former top referee, has been asked to chair a group which has come up with a number of experimental changes to the law which will run for two years and then will be reviewed. And let me just give you some of the things which have changed. Up until now, if a goal-scoring opportunity is denied, 
a red card has been awarded. Now the lawmakers are saying, well, only if there was no genuine attempt to win the ball. So therefore, if a goalkeeper comes out, uh, dives to try to get the ball, but actually gets the player, that will be a penalty and a yellow card, whereas in the past it would have been a penalty and a red card. And another really quite interesting one is that attempted violence can now result in a red card. So if you go in to a reckless tackle and you don't make any contact with the opposing player, up until now you've probably got away with it. But now referees are being told if it's a dangerous attempted tackle, that's just the same as when you make contact. One of the things that I found really fascinating is if two players in the tunnel on the way out to the game get into a fight, what happens? Well, in the past, it was difficult for the referee to do anything. But now they have come up with the solution is that the two players will be shown a red card. But if it happens before the kickoff, the teams will be allowed to replace them. So the game will still be 11 against 11. Um, but the two players involved in the punch-up, and uh, I mean, people quote the example of Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira, who had a bit of an altercation in the tunnel when Manchester United played Arsenal in 2005. Another change, which may affect players like Eden Hazard, Ronaldo or Lionel Messi, is that when you take a penalty, if you dummy or faint at the end of the run and then put the ball in the net, the outcome will be an indirect free kick to the defence. You are not allowed to attempt to deceive the goalkeeper by pretending you're going to shoot and stop. But going back to what we were saying earlier, it'll be quite a brave referee who disallows a penalty for Messi in front of the, the new Camp or Cristiano Ronaldo at the Bernabeu. And there was an amusing incident in 2010 in Morocco when Khalid Ashri, in a penalty shootout, saved the decisive penalty, ran off to celebrate, and the ball rolled into the net. And this situation has now been clarified that the ball is still live until it stops moving. So a goalkeeper now cannot celebrate until the ball has stopped moving. And finally, a couple of other things that they haven't changed but which they're looking at. Now, everyone will remember that incident in the 2010 World Cup game between Uruguay and Ghana when Luis Suarez handles the ball on the line to deny Ghana a goal and then Azamojan misses the penalty for Ghana. Now, in that situation in future, a possibility would actually be to award a goal, to award a penalty goal. Now, in rugby, you can award a penalty try if a try has been prevented through foul play. But this would be a completely new idea for football, which up until now has said a goal can only be awarded if the ball actually goes into the net. And other things they're looking at is perhaps trialing more use of technology, video technology particularly, and also the idea that if a game goes into extra time, like a cup tie, uh, that a fourth sub would be allowed just to bring on fresh legs at that stage. But these are just for the future. I think they've given us enough to see some really interesting changes in the game for the moment. Well, that will be very interesting. I know that the league here in Zimbabwe won't be implementing those changes straight away, but they will be coming soon wherever you are. 
Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And have you downloaded our new app? If you miss the show, you can listen anytime on our app. To download it, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. There are over 130 episodes of the show there available on demand. So to download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And you can listen to the show at any time. You can also listen to the programme on our website, that's planetsportfootballafrica.com, and you can follow us on Twitter, at planetsportfa. Well, still to come, Stuart's analysis of Manchester United's decision to fire manager Louis van Gaal. But now we turn to WhatsApp and Facebook. And last week we featured the big news that Senegal's Fatma Samoura has been appointed as FIFA Secretary General, the first woman and the first African to be given the powerful post. On Facebook, Fal Dam Ahmed in Senegal says, All my congratulations. I'm so proud to be African. I think she has enough qualifications and experience for this. Kevin Alderdice is in Australia. Great to hear from you there, Kevin. And he says, Well done. She'll have to be better than the corrupt so-called football people that have been running our game. And Amadou Mane in the Gambia says, This is good for Africa. Big congratulations to her. Well, there's no doubt that the biggest international story of this week has been Manchester United's sacking of Louis van Gaal and replacing him with former Chelsea coach Jose Mourinho. Well, this story has really got you buzzing on WhatsApp and we've had more comments on this story than any other one before. Uh, We start with Barnabas Ande in Nigeria, who's not impressed. Barnabas says, I think Man United have made two wrong and dangerous decisions. Mourinho will definitely fail at United, just as he failed last time at Chelsea. I don't see him staying beyond the 2017-2018 season. This is totally a case of misplaced priorities for United. Modu Sine in the Gambia agrees. He says this is shocking. They should have let Van Hull complete his contract. I don't like Jose's character. But Alan M.J. Campbell in Sierra Leone says Van Hal was signed by United to bring back glory, but all he did was to lavishly sign players who never showed their money's worth, with the exception of Martial. I think it's the right time for him to go. Alfred Mdimba in Malawi is more positive. He says Mourinho didn't show his skills last time at Chelsea, but he will do it, no doubt. United supporter Mamadou Ba in the Gambia thinks the club has made the right decision. Van Hal let us down, he says. We were expecting a much improved performance from him, but he spent a lot of money with no results. Mourinho is a very good coach, but not a long-term successor. I would have preferred Giggs so that our rising youngsters can be protected. Uh, United legend Ryan Giggs, by the way, was assistant to Van Hal. Alfred Lightfoot-Taylor in Sierra Leone says Mourinho would have been there by a long time already by now, if not for United's reluctance to sack Van Hal. I'm quite confident that Jose will do better. Usman Obi-Turai in the Gambia says Man United are right to sack Van Hal because he's not met our targets uh, to play in the Champions League in particular. Mourinho is the right guy. I don't know about it in the long run, but he's really capable to lead the club to success, says Usman. Usman S. Bojang, also in the Gambia, brings an interesting perspective. He says, yes, they are right to let Van Hal go. In fact, they're late to do this. 
But I'm so sad to hear that Mourinho may come in as the new manager. His arrival will be the end of Marta. Of young stars like Rashford, Lingard, Martial and others, really I'm so sad about him coming in. Giggs should have been given a chance this time, says Usman. Ansaman Darbo in the Gambia says, uh, well, from my own point of view, United are late in sacking Van Hal, but uh, Mourinho is really going to fit that post well. With Mourinho there, there will soon be positive changes. Gift Chipanda is in Malawi. He says they could have given Van Hal a second chance. In fact, it's not easy to win the FA Cup. Mourinho is a good manager, but he's the same manager who failed to produce good fruits at Stamford Bridge. So if he fails to improve the team's performance, are they going to sack him again? Donald writes from Cameroon. He says Man United are perfectly right to sack Van Hull because he didn't bring back the old spirit of Sir Alex Ferguson. And Mourinho seems to be the man to do that, says Donald. Though I'm a Chelsea fan and hate to see Mourinho go to United, Mourinho is a very good manager. But only for the short term, I would have preferred Ryan Giggs to be given a chance. And finally, Fode Nji is a Manchester United fan in the Gambia. He says, as a fan, I think it's a bit harsh the way Van Hull was shown the door just after winning the FA Cup, but it was right to fire him after failing to finish in the top four, coupled with lacklustre performances throughout the season. Well, thanks so much for those comments and some really interesting insights from Man United fans there. Well, this week on WhatsApp, uh, tell us, do you think that referees are biased towards the home team when there's a big decision to make in front of a large crowd? Send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Or go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. But let's stay on the Man United, Van Hull and Mourinho story. Stuart Weir is still with us in the UK. Uh, Stuart, what's your analysis of this decision to fire Van Hull and to appoint Mourinho? If you're judging him by results, it's really quite a harsh judgment because he won the FA Cup and United failed to reach the Champions League only on goal difference. On the other hand, there has been a lot of unrest, a lot of criticism of negative play, and the Manchester United fans often chanting, attack, attack, attack. So it's a criticism as much of his style of play. So many people, former Manchester United players like Paul Scholes, for example, have said United are boring to watch. So results-wise, I think it's a bit harsh, but overall performance... One can understand totally why Manchester United decided to get rid of him. And the cynic would say, if you want Jose Mourinho, he was going to be available this summer, but perhaps not a year later when Van Hal's contract would run out. So, Stuart, do you think that Jose Mourinho is going to be a good fit for Man United? Well, in one sense, you cannot argue with Jose Mourinho's track record. He spent two years at Porto, three years at Chelsea, two years at Inter Milan, and three years at Real Madrid, and then two years again at Chelsea. Now, if you look at Manchester United with Alex Ferguson staying for 25 years, I'm sure that when they appointed David Moyes, the hope was that he would stay 10 years. He went in a season and a half. Van Hal has gone in two years. So do Manchester United really want a manager who is going to be gone in probably three years because his track record shows that he makes an immediate impact, he wins something, and then he tends to fall out with people around him? 
Again, one of the criticisms of Van Hal was the style of play, while effective, was boring. And the same will be said about Mourinho, because Mourinho at Chelsea was the past master of grinding out 1-0 victories. Manchester United is a club with a great reputation. Mourinho is constantly getting into bother with authorities, criticizing referees and so on. Some of his post-match statements are rather amusing at times. And whether that actually fits with the image of Manchester United, I think a lot of people would have doubts. Interestingly, former Manchester United legend Eric Cantona has said that the right manager for Manchester United has come to Manchester, but it's Pep Guardiola at Manchester City. So, you know, City have got Guardiola and Cantona saying that what a shame Manchester United didn't get him because he would have been a much better fit playing attractive, exciting possession football as he did at Barcelona, particularly more so than Mourinho with a more dull, pragmatic, get the defence right, just score enough goals to win. Well, I guess we can only wait and see. Thanks very much, Stuart. Uh, That's it for the show for this week. But on WhatsApp and on Facebook, we're asking, do you think that referees are biased towards the home team when there's a big decision to make in front of a large home crowd? Send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. We'll go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download, go to the Play Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in Nigeria, and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.